A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettigan. <laughs> Desi, I mean, it's, look. it's good to see you. Your hair looks great. Thank you. I got a haircut. It's kind of shortish. I started watching a new TV show this week. It's really good. I just wanted to plug it really quick. Not that it needs my publicity. What is it? It's called The Sinner. Oh. It's on USA Network, but the first season is on Netflix. And it's sort of like, not like an anthology, but it follows a different case each season. Okay. And Bill Pullman's in it, and he plays a really horny detective. Mm. And he's really hot because he's really horny in it. Yeah. And like really lovable and he's really into BDSM. Is this the one with Jessica Biel? Yeah. And she's amazing in it. Okay. I was like... Is that the one where the sisters finger each other? Yes. Okay. That's all I know about it. Wait. (laughs) I I didn't know this and we were watching it and like you could hear a pin drop in the room when Brendan and I were watching it because it was so uncomfortable. Like it was just like... Yeah. It was just like what is happening right now? Oh my god! But it's a really good show, okay. and we just started season two, and it's great. Okay, that's it. That's Rachel's TV corner. Rachel's TV corner. Okay, let's start um, the show. I'm a little hungover. I know. I mentioned this on the Facebook group, so all of the research today was done with a hangover, and I just feel like I should get credit. <laughs> I want some fucking credit. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. This is uh, the conclusion of a two part. Um, episode arc, right? Yeah. So it's, this is um, part two of The Rebel Without a Cause Curse. Today we are going to talk about James Dean and yes. Salminio. So let's get started with the life and death of James Dean, who died in the car crash that took his life, as I said last week. Oh, <laughs> Look, God. you know what? I like my my mistakes and I'm um, going to embrace them. I like and them too. you know what? You have to like it, bitches. So let's get started with some background on James Dean. James Dean was born on February 8th, 1931 in Marion, Indiana. He was the only child of Winton and Mildred Dean, which is like the most country <laughs> parent names ever. Dude, Winton? Winton and Mi- Mildred. I mean, come on. When he was six, the family actually moved to Santa Monica And a few years after that, Dean's mom, who he was very close to, died of uterine cancer, and he was only nine years old when that happened. His dad couldn't handle being a single dad, so he sent him back to live with his aunt and uncle in Fairmont, Indiana. And just like a little point of interest, that location, Fairmont, Indiana, is where Morrissey filmed his video for Suedehead. Oh, we mentioned Suedehead in the last episode. Yeah. So, I mean, if if you know the video... It's just like basically Morrissey going around to like local places and at the farmhouse, which I think is where Dean grew up because Morrissey actually spent time with his cousin who owns the farm where James Dean grew up. Okay. And there was like some funny stories I found on a message board, including one where he's sitting on the grave in the video and it was freezing cold and that he came back to the farmhouse and his butt was freezing and he was <laughs> screaming and cursing, my bum is fucking freezing off. And he saw that James Dean's cousin was on the front porch and he was so humiliated that he was cursing like that in front of her that he hid in his trailer and didn't like see her again or something like that. And wrote an entire album. Right, exactly. It's a traumatizing event in his life. Uh, They also go to the Fairmont Museum in that video. And I, this other fun fact 
that that Fairmont Museum honors James Dean, and its other famous resident is Jim Davis. Garfield creator. (laughs) So it's a museum with James Dean and Jim Davis. Like what a weird fucking combination. I just want to say one other thing about that video because it's my favorite Morrissey moment ever. In the video, he tries to start a tractor and he's like kind of unsuccessful. (laughs) And then he starts driving it. I'm just like, why the fuck is Morrissey on a tractor? Like it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. In fact, I once made a gif of that moment of him trying to start... (laughs) That's how obsessed I was with it because I just wanted to see him trying to Did, unsuccessfully start the tractor. Was the caption you put when you try to get the dick hard to, yeah. the, to no avail? <laughs> the feels when that drunk dick is slamming into your thigh. Yeah. So I love that moment. And that's that. So after moving to Fairmont, Indiana, when he was, I think, about nine years old, James became very close to a pastor named Reverend James DeWeird real name. And guess what? This guy was fucking weird. He was not only James's mentor, but there were rumors that they had started a sexual relationship when James was about 11 years old. Oh my God. And I believe this because pastor, pastors always are creepy to me. Well, I'm sure there's decent pastors, but come on. When you hear the word pastor, you know, you're like, what? <laughs> Don't at me. In fact, Dean actually confided this supposedly to Elizabeth Taylor about this relationship that he had experienced as a child. I love how Elizabeth Taylor gets all the good gay gossip. Like they oh, yeah. all can find in her. Like she's like, you know, life goals for right, me. Right, right. So after he graduated high school in Indiana, he moved back to California to live with his dad and his stepmom. He actually went to Santa Monica College where I took classes once. I did too. <laughs> you did? When okay. I was, so we yeah. went to the same school as James Dean, you guys. Uh, he also <laughs> went to UC. <laughs> He also went to UCLA, and that's where he eventually switched over and started majoring in drama and kind of got the acting bug or whatever you want to say. I never got the acting bug. That actually caused a rift between him and his dad. Like His dad did not want him to pursue an acting career. He dropped out of UCLA in 1951, and he started pursuing acting full-time. He kind of got bit parts and commercials and some TV things, and then he eventually moved to New York City to pursue acting work there before he gained admission to the actor's studio to study with Lee Strasberg. Yes, I made an error last week when I said that James Dean did not study, was not a trained actor. It was based on a Elia Kazan quote that I just kind of made an assumption. Even when I said it, I was like, wait, I feel like he did train with the actor's studio. So yes, I made a fucking error. Okay, I'm correcting it. <laughs> Leave me alone. Damn, uh, you really are hungover. Yeah. <laughs> Let me live. So... In New York, his career really started taking off. He got more TV roles and he started doing things, you know, on the stage. And that's where, um, around this time, Elia Kazan started looking for an actor that he he thought could fill this emotionally complex role of Cal Trask in his screen adaptation of East of Eden. And Dean was eventually cast in that movie and moved back to Hollywood in April of 1954. Now, that, that movie really just pretty much put him on the map. He actually was not nominated posthumously for the 1956 Academy Award for Best Actor for that movie. And that was the first time an actor had been nominated after they had died for an Academy Award uh, in history. Dean uh, followed up his role in East of Eden with his role as Jim Stark in Rebel Without a Cause, which we talked about last week. And then he also did Giant with Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor. He actually received a second posthumous Best Actor Academy Award nomination for his role in Giant, and that was at the following Oscars uh, for films released in 1956. Dean was also like a part of this 
sort of, I mean, he's sort of like a bisexual icon, would you say? I yes. mean, one of them. At the time, he was sort of the guy who was dating a lot of the Hollywood as- actresses, but he was interesting enough kind of placed in this group together with two other actors who we now know were gay, Rock Hudson and Tab Hunter. They were all kind of identified as the eligible bachelors who had not found time to, you know, commit settle to us. Yeah, settle down. There was a quote that I thought was kind of funny. They say their film rehearsals are in conflict with their marriage rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, okay, who cares? Let him fuck around. I don't fucking care. <laughs> yes, I am hungover. In fact, when he was questioned about his sexual orientation, Dean is reported to have said, no, I am not homosexual, but I'm also not going to go through life with one hand tied behind my back. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, there's like back and forth whether he was legitimately bi or just sort of able to do it to get ahead and that kind of, in multiple bios of him, it kind of goes back and forth. Like one guy named John Gilmore said that they fucked around and he said we were just bad boys playing bad boys while opening up the bisexual side of ourselves. That's so hot. (laughs) Yes. And then another person who was like the son of someone he went to UCLA with said, Dean was a user. I don't think he was homosexual, but he could get something by performing an act. He would. So it's like, who cares, right? I I don't know. The fact that he's getting slut shamed makes me feel like he is bisexual. (laughs) Right. Because everyone's slut shaming. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, He had, his most famous relationship was actually with a woman. It was an actress, an Italian actress named Pierre Angeli. According to her, they had like a really intense love affair. She described it as, we were like Romeo and Juliet together and inseparable. Sometimes on the beach, we loved each other so much. We just wanted to walk together into the sea holding hands because we knew that then we would always be together, which sounds like some dramatic fucking shit to me. She actually ended up dumping him and marrying a singer, uh, Vic Damone. I think she got married again, but supposedly she never got over James. So I don't know if it was her one-sided infatuation with him that kind of got blown up because she lived longer than him. She actually died of an, I think a supposedly accidental overdose of barbiturates in 1971. And she was only 39. So in addition to acting, James, James's other passion was that he was very into race car driving. In 1954, he began collecting all kinds of cars and competing in races. And he had dreams of actually competing in the Indy 500. Like he was serious about car racing. Things kind of came to a halt when Warner Brothers barred him from all racing during the production of Giant. But after shooting was done on that movie, he took it up again and was scheduled to compete in a racing event in Salinas, California. So accompanying him on this trip to Salinas was a stunt coordinator he worked with named Bill Hickman, a photographer who worked for Collier's magazine named Sanford Roth, and Rolf Wertherich, who was a mechanic. He was German and he worked for Porsche. He sort of was his, who maintained Dean's Porsche 550 Spider, which was his new car and his like new baby that he had at the time. That car was dubbed Little Bastard. And there's a few stories about why it was called that. One of them is that Hickman supposedly called Dean Little Bastard and Dean called Hickman Big Bastard. And so he named his car after that sort of little brotherhood. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> Another version of the little bastard story is that Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers president Jack Warner had once referred to Dean as a little bastard after he refused to vacate his East of Eden trailer on the studio lot. And Dean wanted to get even with him by naming his race car little bastard sort of as a defiant way of showing him that I'm going to fucking race in between movies. Cause I don't, I think they wanted him not to do it at all. Cause he was like their big fucking property at this point. Uh, Here's one other little creepy thing I'm going to mention right here. James met actor 
Alec Guinness at some point in a Hollywood at a Hollywood restaurant. And he was like so into this new spider car, this Porsche. He had Guinness come outside to show him the car. And according to like the story, Guinness thought the car appeared sinister. And he told Dean, if you get in that car, you will be found dead in it by the next this time next week. And this took place on September 23rd, 1955, seven days before James Dean died in that car. Well, Alex Guinness is a Jedi. Exactly. That's how he, he knows He did that. a Jedi mind trick. Right. And, 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 you know, Dean didn't know about the Force. No, he didn't <laughs> And know. the Force couldn't stop this accident, right, unfortunately. Right, right, right. So on September 30th, 1955, that group of four men left for Salinas. Dean had originally intended to tow the Porsche behind his Ford station wagon, but because the spider didn't have enough break-in miles, according to Wutherich, he recommended Dean drive it to Salinas to kind of get more, get the feel for it more. Like it would be a long, you know, whatever, four or five hour drive. So he could kind of break it in before racing it that weekend. The other two guys drove up the station wagon and trailer, and they kind of just kind of caravanned up. They left L.A. about 2 p.m. and headed north on the Golden Street Freeway over the grapevine towards sort of Bakersfield. At 3.30 p.m., Dean actually got a traffic ticket for speeding just outside of Bakersfield. He was going 65 and a 55 mile per hour. The caravan actually also got a ticket because they were keeping up with Dean and it was even worse because you, the speed limit is like lower. If you have a trailer, you have to go like 10 miles below the, mm-hmm. the speed limit. So they both got tickets. And then after that, they decided to take an alternate route to avoid going through Bakersfield, which had like a really slow speed limit down in this like downtown district. And they went on, uh, SR-166, which was a known shortcut for race car drivers going to Salinas, mm-hmm. and it's actually called Racers Road. So that's the route they took. This they, so this last minute, they kind of took a new way, new way. Right. At some point, they stopped, I think about four, they stopped at a place called Blackwell's Corner, which were where racers kind of stopped to get snacks and some right. fucking food, whatever. At about 5.15, they hit the road again, and they were driving west on Route 466 toward Paso Robles. And that's when Dean really fucking put the pedal to the metal on Little Bastard. And he actually ended up losing the Ford station wagon that was following him because they just couldn't keep up. Yeah. At about 5.45 p.m., a black and white 1950 Ford Tudor driven at high speed was headed east on the same uh, route, on Route 466. And they were just west of a junction in Shandon. That person's driver, or that car's driver, sorry, was 23-year-old Cal Poly student named, I swear to God, Donald Turnipseed. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You need to say that again. Donald Turnipseed. That's not a real name. It's not even spelled like turnip. It's like T-U-R-N-U-P-S-E-E-D. So it's not like turnip, but like turnipseed. Turnipseed. That's an insane last name, right? That's wild. I don't know why that. Made I mean, me if laugh. where is he from outside of Bakersfield? And I mean, that, I'm guessing and he's that's Central your last California. Name? Yeah, that's right. no, it's crazy. I love it. So basically, they're going in opposite directions. Yeah, uh, Turnipseed is about to make a left turn on Route 41. <laughs> okay, and as his his car crosses over the center line, Dean, who could clearly see an imminent crash, kind of. If this guy turns in front of me, I'm going to crash into him. Right, he knew he wasn't going to be able to slow down in time. He kind of tried to steer his car out of the way. It's called sidestepping. It's like a racing maneuver. Right. But he didn't have enough time and space to do it. And the two cars crashed almost head on. 
A witness reportedly saw the spider smash into the ground two or three times into cartwheels and eventually landing in a gully that was beside the shoulder of the road uh, that was just northwest of this inner, you know, this junction. The sheer velocity of the impact sent the much heavier Ford broadsiding, broadsliding about 39 feet down the road into a westbound lane, and the accident was witnessed by a, a number of passerbys who stopped to help. A woman with nursing experience attended to Dean, and to, she said he had like a weak pulse in his neck when she sort of first came over. According to the woman, death appeared to have been instantaneous, like whatever she felt was gone within seconds. Mm -hmm. Before cops arrived, Dean had been extricated from the mangled, you know, body of the spider. Uh, we can post some pictures because there's a lot of pictures because of the, the photographer was right behind them right. and he was there to take photos of Dean's racing adventures that weekend and ended up getting this like insane, you know, fucking photojournalism coup. So he got pulled out of the car. His left foot, had been completely crushed between the clutch and the brake pedal. He was obviously severely injured as his vehicle took the brunt of the crash. I mean, when you see his this car, it's like a tiny fucking little speedster race right. car. He basically died of a broken neck and he had massive internal and external injuries. I mean, people say he was near decapitated. That's how severe the accident was. There was a witness who saw him unconscious and dying, being placed into the ambulance. Witherich, also a passenger in the car, was barely conscious, and he had been thrown from the spider and was lying on the shoulder of the road next to the wrecked vehicle. Both of them were taken in the same ambulance to Paso Robles War Memorial Hospital, which was 28 miles away, by the way. I was going to say, because I've done that drive many, many times, yeah. and there are stretches where there is just nothing. I mean, I think he was pretty much dead instantly, so right. it wouldn't have made a difference. But yeah, that's kind of crazy. If he was possibly able to survive, not 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 with twenty eight miles in between, probably. Right. So he was pronounced dead on arrival at six twenty p.m. by the attending emergency room physician. The cause of death is listed as broken neck as well as multiple fractures of his upper and lower jaw, along with both right and left arms broken, as well as just a shitload of internal injuries. It was written that Dean actually died in the arms of his friend Bill Hickman because he was holding him until oh. the ambulance came, which is really sad. Yeah. There were reports that Dean was going upwards of 85 miles per hour at the time, but after the fact, people said, no, he's probably going about 55 based on the wreckage and the position of his body. Uh, so he probably wasn't really speeding. It was just a fucking head-on collision at yeah. like relatively high speed. Right. Uh, so Wotherich did survive. He had a broken jaw and serious hip and femur injuries that required surgery. Turnip seed, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> I have to laugh every time I hear that name. I know it's terrible. I'm bad. I'm spanking my hand. He actually only <laughs> suffered slightly you know, slight injuries and had facial bruises and et cetera. After being interviewed by Chip, Turnipseed actually hitchhiked in the dark back to his home in Tulare. What, you know no one Tulare? can give him a ride? I know. Isn't that sad? Like, there's no cell phone. Like, yeah, like, they didn't hook him up with some kind of police ride or something. It's crazy. Like I said before, Hickman and Roth arrived at the accident, like, 10 minutes after the crash had happened because they had gotten left behind. Uh, they couldn't keep up with him. So some people say that Dean's last known words, which were uttered right before the impact and said to Weatherich, because Weatherich told Dean to slow down as they were approaching and they saw this truck or this Ford Tudor about to pull into their lane. And supposedly Dean said, that guy's got to stop. He'll see us. Oh. So, you know, this isn't the day of the internet. 
This right. sort of was like a slow roll in news story. This yeah. is September 30th, late in the evening. So by October 2nd, this all of a sudden became, you know, on every news channel and newspaper, it was major headlines. So I don't even think it made it on the paper September 1st. I mean, October 1st. It wasn't until October 2nd that it was like really out in the world. Well, and it's not like it happened in a populated area either. Right. Where there's reporters. Right. Around. I mean, this is the day when things are, you know, newspapers were getting printed by the time something late breaking would happen because right. this is in the late evening. Obviously, I think I touched on this a bit. The gang, they had just finished, or or Rebel Without a Cause was a week away from premiering. Obviously, all of his friends from that movie were devastated when they heard the news, and they all went to that diner they used to go to to kind of commiserate his death. The movie was released. You know, Warner Brothers definitely used the publicity surrounding his death to kind of promote the movie. I think the movie had mixed reviews, but everyone was just praising his performance. I mean, it's just obviously what's going to, what else are they going to do? <laughs> the movie went on to be a huge success. This definitely like sort of cemented Dean's sort of legacy. He just became this, you know, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis type figure where their de- their young death just kind of made them bigger than, I mean, he was only in three movies. The funny story here I thought was that in his hometown newspaper in Indiana, the headline was, Fairmont man dies in traffic accident in West. Like, what? They didn't even like <laughs> Fairmont man. They didn't even like call him. I mean, I think that's what the level of his fame like. It was really just burgeoning his right. fame. So it was like this weird thing that was happening. But obviously, it's a major news story. I mean, come on, Fairmont, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so they did have an, a coroner's inquest to see what was the cause of the accident and yeah. if this guy Turnipseed was remotely responsible. I mean, I I don't think anything bad happened. He just basically claimed he didn't even see this car, which was really low to the ground. Um, and he had a, his car was high up. Yeah, his car was definitely higher up and just like a bigger vehicle. And the coroner's jury, coroner's jury came back with a verdict of accidental death with no criminal intent. So he was found completely not guilty of contributing to James Dean's death. And James Dean was also found not guilty of... Well, contributing I, to his own death. But he could have been held responsible, like if he was speeding or whatever... Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so basically it's just an accident yeah. that was, you know, bad. <laughs> Although he wasn't charged with anything, obviously this took a toll on turnip seed. Of course. Like he, it was like a devastating thing to kill this iconic person. To kill anybody. Anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But especially this where everyone knows what you did. I and, can't imagine yeah. what he went through after that. He did at some point grant one interview immediately following the crash. But after that, he pretty much refused to speak about it publicly he went on to have a very successful business, um, and he died of lung cancer at the age of 63 in 1985. Wetherich, he continued to have complicated surgery throughout his life. Um, he just was really fucked up from the accident. At some point, he went back to his homeland, his homeland, who am I, of Germany. <laughs> and he had like a lot of legal problems and psychological problems. He continued working for Porsche while he was there. And he actually, in 1981, died in an auto crash himself after he lost control of his car and crashed into a residence. Oh, my God. <clears throat> yeah. He also had to be like extracted from the wreck and died at the scene of the accident. He was uh, 53 years old. So that's kind of a crazy thing to survive a car accident like that. And that's then final just destination. Up... Yeah, right? It's crazy. One sort of ironic twist to all of this, while filming Giant, Dean also filmed a short public service announcement with actor Gig Young, who, by the way, died in a murder-suicide, and he is the murderer, so maybe we'll cover him at some point. In this public service announcement, Dean was dressed as his character in Giant, Jet Rink. 
And he was talking about how driving fast on the highway can be more dangerous than racing on the track. At the end of the segment, instead of saying the catchphrase, the life you save may be your own, Dean ad-libbed the line, the life you might save might be mine. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? The death of James Dean was uh, really hard on Nicholas Ray, the director of Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. At some point, Ray once, at the end of his life, he said something along the lines of, if they're still showing Rebel Without a Cause 20 years from now, then it can stand as my epitaph. And I really feel like this movie stands as both of theirs. Yeah. Because this, like, of the three movies, I mean, Rebel Without a Cause is definitely it's, the iconic moment. It's yeah. where all the pictures you've seen of him, like the first picture you've seen of Dean Je- James Dean is him and his red windbreaker. Right. Like that kind of image. I'm going to go into a bit of some car curse and conspiracy stories now. While filming Rebel Without a Cause, he did get this updated, upgraded from this 356 Porsche to this 550 Spider, mm-hmm. and it was there that he he kind of wanted to customize it to make it just sort of like his own personal vehicle. Right. He called upon a guy named George Barris, who was like a famous movie car customizer person, and he kind of up he kind of gave it this like tartan he, he pimped the ride he gave it tartan seats two red stripes over the rear wheels and plastered the number 130 on the doors hood and engine cover after the accident it was this guy george barris who bought the wreck carcass of little bastard for 2500 dollars uh, and he pretty much started this whole idea that the car was cursed by really kind of pushing that narrative through everything that happened so here's some of the things that did happen after he purchased the car. Did he rebuild the car? No, it's never been re- like it had been on tour is a crash mangled That's junk what I of thought. metal. Yeah. No, there's nothing he just purchased it, but there was usable parts on it and I'll get into that right now. Okay. So shortly after he purchased the vehicle, I mean the mangled mess of a vehicle, uh the Porsche slipped off its trailer and broke a mechanic's leg. Not longer after that, he sold the engine and the drivetrain to a man to two men, Troy McHenry and William Eskrid. And while both of those two men were racing against one another in cars that had those parts from Little Bastard, McHenry lost control of his car and hit a tree, killing him instantly. And Eskrid was seriously injured when his car suddenly locked up and rolled over while he was making a turn. Barris still had two tires from the the 550 that were untouched in Dean's accident. He sold them not long after, and both blew out simultaneously, causing the new owner's car to run off the road. Barris had kept the car in his possession. He he did sell these parts on occasion, but he still had the the car, and so it was like a thing that thieves wanted to get. Like People wanted to get it. Uh, And two of those thieves came into his garage where he kept it, and one of them tore open their arm while trying to steal the steering wheel off of the car, and another was injured while trying to remove a bloodstained tartan seat. So both of those thieves got really serious injuries. After all of these incidents kept happening, Barris decided to hide the car, but was convinced that by the highway um, chip to lend the cursed heap to a highway safety exhibit to kind of like promote safe driving mm-hmm. so people could look at this mess and like don't 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 fucking do this <laughs> here's what happens when you speed the first exhibit was unsuccessful because the garage where they were housing the car caught fire and burned to the ground holy shit the car was virtually untouched by the fire the next ex- exhibition was to be held at a local high, st- high school and that ended abruptly when the car fell off its display and broke a student's hip the next thing that happened was when the little bastard was being transported, the truck that was carrying it lost control 
lost control and caused the driver to fall out and somehow get crushed by the car after he fell off the back. Like the driver fell out of this car and got crushed by the car that he was driving. The car also fell off of two more transport trucks while traveling on the freeway and that didn't injure anyone, but I mean, it could have. Chip decided that it had had enough of Little Bastard and while transporting the car to Barris, the car mysteriously vanished and has not been seen since. What? How... Where'd it go? I don't know. No one knows. There is like one single piece of it at some auto museum in Illinois. Well, what's the status of that museum? Nothing has happened in my research. Yet. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Uh, so one other thing with him, like many stars before him... There are lots of conspiracy theories that Dean did not actually die in that car accident, but he used it as an as a way to escape escape his fame, like something he didn't want, kind of like Jim Morrison and Kurt Cobain and whatever. There's a few other people that could be a good show. Like, Tupac, yeah, Tupac. And this one of these theories I found was on that fucking website, Crazy Days and Crazy Nights. So this is actually was just posted on July fourth, twenty eighteen. Oh, recent. So, mm-hmm. So I'm just going to read it to you. One of the longest held secrets in Hollywood was known by a handful of people. I was never one of those people. Even as the secret was passed down to a second and third generation, I still never knew. It was not until the last week of April that I was told the secret and that it was okay to talk about it now because the subject of the secret had been killed in an auto accident. That was kind of fitting considering that is how he died, in quotes, the first time. He was an A-plus list that first time. The entire world loved him and adored him, and he hated every second of it. He wanted no part of it. So with the help of a police chief who thought the world of him and a rival studio head who was willing to do anything not to watch those big box office numbers he put up, they got to work. The studio chief got some set designers and stunt people, and they created a car wreck. The police chief donated a body from the morgue no one was going to claim so they could bury a body, and it was all set. The studio chief signed a contract with the actor, and it was basically paying him $1,500 a week for his entire life, and he lived a long life. When he was killed north of the border in an auto accident in April, he was 95 or 96, depending on whether you used his Canadian or American birth certificate. For much of the past 60-some-odd years, he lived in a remote section of the northern county, but in the past few years moved to a larger city so he and his wife could be closer to medical care. Being 95 or 96 didn't stop him for his love of driving, though, and he and his wife loved being with him. She was with him in the car when they were hit by a tractor trailer. His wife is expected to make a full recovery, and that's supposedly about James Dean. First of all, the comments on this on Reddit are pretty funny because a lot of them were like, this is believable except for the fact that he had a wife. I'm like Jesus, it's very, it's a very Reddit thread. So that's crazy. That supposedly they're saying he literally just died in April. Um, another conspiracy theory is that he actually survived the accident, but was so disabled that studio bosses feared having him survive and be injured would not get the same draw that he him dying would get. Like if people had to see him all physically disfigured I guess right right or just whatever so I don't know I mean I don't really believe any of that I just think it's interesting yeah <laughs> I mean that would be crazy it's crazy to me how people just don't want to let go I was listening to this podcast called criminal and the host's voice is so soothing it's like one of those what is it called ASMR yes that's what her voice sounds like Phoebe Judge is her name anyway so I was listening to this episode and it was about people who have faked their own death to sort of live a whole new life. And they had like an expert on who basically explained 
how difficult of a process that actually is to do. That it's so unlikely. Right. I mean, the people do it, the people who have done it before are usually motivated by like a financial right. fuck up in their life or some kind of financial hardship. But to actually go through the process, it's like such a task and a half to actually do it. It's and probably even succeed. harder now when you have such a digital footprint. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't believe any of those things, but I am always kind of interested in, in conspiracy theories. Yeah. I like, like I yeah. like, f- I like fun conspiracy theories. Like that's right. a fun conspiracy theory. I don't like the conspiracy theories that are like racist or, uh, harmful in oh, some way. What a hot take, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a really good person. You guys, just so come you guys on. know I'm a really good person. Um, no, but no, I, but when they're fun and they're not harming anybody, like, right? Like that, that's a fun one to indulge in to say, what if, what if? Yeah. I, I don't believe them, but it is. And it would be amazing if that was true. Like I always love the it one would, with Andy Kaufman where they think he, it's all, he's going to come out one day and be like, surprise. Yeah. Like that would be incredible. I think that uh, is my favorite one. It's pretty great. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost 
on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. Yeah. So we have a lot more to cover. So let's just get right into Salminio. Okay. So this has been a long-awaited case for us to cover. So here we go. Minio was born in the Bronx to Josephine and Salvatore Minio Sr. And they were coffin makers, Rachel. <laughs> I love it. Have you ever, like, I was like, I have, I didn't even think that that was a career, but obviously they come from somewhere. But what a ghoulish career. It is. I mean, it's amazing. He was of Sicilian descent and his family was like a hardcore Italian family. From I think the, the dad was actually from Italy and the mom was American born, but very Sicilian. His mother was actually the one who enrolled him in dancing and acting classes at an early age. And he had his first stage appearance in ten- the Tennessee Williams play, The Rose Tattoo. He also played a young prince opposite Yul Brynner in the stage musical, The King and I. And Brenner kind of became a mentor to him early on uh, and helped him kind of grow his acting skills, which I thought was kind of cool. My mom was in that play. Oh, she was? Yeah, she was Anna. <clears throat> I know. At that point, he pretty much started working like, like as a child actor. He, you know, as a teen, he started getting more roles. He appeared on an ABC musical quiz called Jukebox Jury, which sounds amazing. I want to look up a clip if I can find one. Uh, and his debut film role was in a film called Six Bridges to Cross, which he actually beat out Clint Eastwood to get. So oh, wow. he was definitely like an up and coming little actor. His breakthrough role, though, as we've mentioned before, was in Rebel Without a Cause. And in that movie, he plays the character of Plato, who's like a sensitive teen who looks up to James Dean's character. And I feel like from what I've read, he is that guy. Like yeah. he is Plato. Like he is just. I don't know. I, I really like Salminio, so we'll get into that more later. He was nominated for an Academy Award for that performance, Best Supporting Actor, and he just became super fucking popular. He was getting thousands of letters a week from female fans, and he was like mobbed at appearances. And uh, one of his biographers says he dated the most beautiful women in Hollywood and New York City. <laughs> I like that he had to be bicoastal and bisexual. Okay. Uh, He was also in Giant. And he started, he was definitely typecast at this point. He was getting a lot of roles where he played the troubled teen. By the late 1950s, he was a pretty big celebrity at that time. He was actually referred to as the Switchblade Kid, which is a little creepy considering how he'll kind of meet his end. But that was from a role he played where he was kind of a teenage delinquent. It was called Crime in the Streets. In 1957, he actually had a brief foray into pop music, which I had no idea about. He had like a few Billboard Top 40, you know, um, hits. And his big, his next big role was playing Gene Krupa in a biopic. He definitely tried to make an effort to get out of the typecasting as this whatever troubled teen. And he was a good actor and he had looks like you kind of couldn't tell what ethnicity he was. Like he's Italian, but he could easily play anything. They I call think. that in casting lingo, they call that ethnically ambiguous. Right. So he would play, I mean, and all of these things would probably be problematic now. He played a Native American in a movie called Tonka. He played a Mexican boy in Giant. Uh, he played a Jewish emigrant in Exodus, which he was also nominated for uh, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in that role. It was while he was uh, filming, I'm going to tell this story because <laughs> there's like a really funny part for me. While he was filming Exodus, he met an actress named Jill Hayworth and they kind of became an item. They were kind of off and on for many years. They were engaged at 
at one point, and then she canceled the engagement. Apparently, it's rumored for after she found out that he was having an affair with like a teen idol named Bobby Sherman. They did remain close friends though. Uh, his whole the rest of his life at some point she started dating Aaron Spelling oh my god when he was young (laughs) well he was still much older than her though because you know he was old a long time dude (laughs) Rachel Aaron like Aaron Spelling's one of those guys like Maggie Smith who you're just like for as long like they've always yeah they've always been really old so he's much older than her in this story too like whenever this was taking place in like the 60s or whatever and Minio actually saw them out one night at a nightclub in Beverly Hills and he punched Spelling in the face <laughs> and said do you know how old she is what are you doing with her at your age <laughs> I'm sorry I just love the idea of Aaron Spelling getting punched in the face for some reason it's insane it's- to me because I just find him to be very mild it's like He's- the idea that he was and incurred any wrath is hilarious he's to me. just yeah he's whatever he was whatever yeah so anyways that's just a little but he did story. make but he did make melrose place which is my all-time favorite television he made show. a lot of good shows i know and, and 90210 <laughs> lest we forget he also and made, dynasty and he also on. oh yeah dynasty he also made tori spelling who's iconic yes so he did a lot of good not work. the best actress but iconic nonetheless <laughs> look you don't have to be good to be iconic <laughs> So by the early 1960s, Minio was becoming too old to play the roles that kind of got him started. So he also, like, his burgeoning, like, the rumor of him being homosexual also started to kind of it become him? a... Yeah, it started affecting him, and people started judging what he could and couldn't play. Like, he was losing really big roles, including a role in Lawrence of the Arabia... Lawrence of the Arabia. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia... Like he lost a role, and I think people thought, like, oh, we don't want to deal with this, you know, have this a gay queer scandal. Guy. Like, you know, he was kind of baffled by his loss of popularity. Like, he literally went from whatever this big star to Academy almost nothing. Award yeah, nominated. So he's quoted as saying, "One minute it seemed I had more movie offers than I could handle; the next, no one wanted me." So that's like fucked up. Yeah, that's sad. In 1969, he returned to direct a play in Los Angeles and it was actually an LGBT themed play called Fortune and Men's Eyes and it featured an unknown Don Johnson. Oh wow. And he starred opposite of Don Johnson and it got positive reviews. Now here's where I really start to admire uh, Salminio. In 1972 in an interview with a guy named Boz Hadley, I'm assuming it's a guy I don't actually know but it sounds like maybe it's a guy's name, he came out as bi. 1972. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe he thought he had nothing to lose at that point. So I'm going to give you some quotes from his interview. At some point, Hadley asked him, was your bisexuality a problem as far as your family was concerned? And Minio said, as long as you don't wear a dress or sound like Marilyn Monroe, there's no problem that can't be worked out. One time when my ma wondered how I came, how come I turned gay, I asked her, ma, how come my brothers did it? You get me? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Hadley asked him, why do you think so many gay men are turned off by bis- bisexual men? And Minio replied. Wait, 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 wait. How, why do you think? How, read that So again. many gay men are turned off by bisexual men. Oh, well, I can answer this. Well, let's hear Minio first. Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> is it about you? <laughs> Listen, they ain't turned off by them sexually, maybe politically, because half the gays in Hollywood pretend they're bi. I guess so far that's a matter of survival. So don't even have the guts. Some don't even have the guts to say they're bi. <laughs> Do you want to add something, Rachel? Yes, because it is. 
it's a very different answer. There is a stereotype in the LGBT community that lesbians do not like dating bisexual women because of whatever prejudices. And I'm not going to list the, uh, the real or imagined prejudices, but I did get into an argument one time with a lesbian friend of mine about that, me being bisexual and her being lesbian. Right. And I've dated women who were lesbians before, so not that I... I mean, I'm really special. I've never had that problem before. Right. <laughs> Actually, that's a lie. I, ha- I, ha- I, ha- I have... I have had biphobic things said to me by lesbians before, but I would never ever say that that is the lesbian community as a whole because I believe uh, everyone has the opportunity from every community to be an asshole. Of course. Everyone. No no one, it doesn't matter. Assholes knows no race, creed, gender. Right. Everyone can be an asshole. Right. So, And then the one last question I'm going to say was, I think Hadley at some point says, by the same token, some straight men mostly younger, trendy ones like to say they're bisexual. And many of had this to say about that. That's cool. Even if it ain't true, some of them try it once or twice and that's healthy. It lets them find out if they're really got no taste for men or if they're really gay or bi, but they've been fooling themselves like the straight guy and boys in the band. So like, I feel like he had a pretty progressive take on like, I mean, at that time to be saying these things in a magazine when you're an actor trying to get his career back on track. I think it's pretty... um, I'm not saying his opinions are necessarily woke or progressive. Yeah, but I feel like at that time, just the fact that he's talking about these ideas of men's sexuality in that kind of way uh, and being cool with experimentation, I mean, pretty similar to James Dean in that regard. Another interesting story is that one of the ways he attempted to revive his career was by camping out on the front lawn of Francis Ford Coppola's home in a chance to win the role of Fredo Corleone in the Godfather movie, and that role eventually went to John Cazale. Apparently, there is a rumor that one of the reasons he didn't get the role was because James Caan threatened to quit if that fag was allowed on the set. Well, and that's a quote. James Caan. That's a quote from James Caan, not me. Okay, so don't even. Wait a minute. Did, <laughs> it's a rumor. That's a rumor. That's a rumor, and it's like the timing is very close to when that interview. Right. Like it's around the same time, so it's possible, or just the fact that he had always been rumored to be gay or bisexual. Uh, yeah, so fuck James Conn. I mean, I believe it personally. I could picture James <laughs> Conn saying that. Maybe I'm just like, <laughs> maybe I just hate Sonny. Uh, but I feel like he would have been a good Fredo, even though I thought John Cazale was great also. I mean, mm-hmm. what a fucking tragic character. Oof. And John Cazale had a tragic ending too. That's really sad. Um, maybe yeah. we'll talk about it sometime. Anyways, he's actually started being typecast again. And this time it was as deranged killers. He was working a lot in TV at the time. He also had a role in a movie called Who Killed Teddy Bear that I have got to fucking see and I've never seen it. It's with Juliet Prowse and he plays a stalker in it. So, I mean, getting re-typecast as a different thing was not necessarily any any better than what he was trying to escape before. Look, I love the transition from teen star to serial killer. Right. Honestly, that's, also, why, that's why I'm so excited about Zac Efron oh, right, right, right. playing Ted Bundy. Uh, he was also on a TV show called SWAT at some point where he played a cult leader that was based on Charles Manson, which I would love to see. Um, his last motion picture role was in the movie Escape from the Planet of the Apes. He played the chimpanzee Dr. Milo. And in that movie, he actually is brutally murdered. Uh, he's strangled by a gorilla, I think. So that's too bad. <laughs> I can't remember. I get confused with those movies, but I think that's what happened. 
So yeah, in 1976, his career actually did start to kind of turn around. He was playing the role of a bisexual burglar in a stage performance of the comedy called P.S. Your Cat is Dead. And (laughs) he was doing that in San Francisco. I mean, this guy, all of his facts are quite interesting. (laughs) He was getting a ton of publicity from this play and great reviews. And they actually were so successful, they moved the play down to Los Angeles. That's where he was living at the time of his death. He got an apartment near the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood, and he was doing his play rehearsals. On February 12th, 1976, Mineo was arriving home after a rehearsal for that play. He was parking his car in, I think it was a Chevelle. I don't know. I have to mention that for some reason. It was a Chevelle because just the sets 70s. the era. Come on. I don't know. It's a pretty typical setup in LA. You have a parking space behind your apartment building, yes. like a little, um, there's like an alley in the right, back right. and whatever. Uh, so he's parking behind his apartment building. Shortly after he parks, his neighbors heard cries for help. In fact, his last words were, help, help, oh my God. Some of the neighbors, you know, people came out when they heard this screaming. Some people said they saw a white man with brown hair, long brown hair, fleeing the scene. By the time they reached Minio, he was almost dead. He had been stabbed just one time, but the knife blade struck him right in the heart, which led to immediate and fatal internal bleeding. So he pretty much died within minutes of his neighbors finding him. Now, initially... This just seemed like a murder that was never going to be solved. Uh, he Robbery didn't seem to be the motive because in his wallet he had $21. He had change in his left pocket. He had a pocket watch and a chain, and he had a ring. So nothing was stolen from him by all appearances. They couldn't find the suspect. There was no like strong description of him other than a white man with brown hair running away. I mean, that's not very, uh, you know, specific. There were some other sort of things they tried to look into. At the time, he was working in prison reform. So he was probably in contact with a lot of ex-cons and people who had been in prison. That was like one avenue they went, went down. And then, of course, as with anything, they went down that it was a gay-related crime. <clears throat> Part of that stemmed from, obviously, he was very open about it. And then they also, you know, when searching his home, they found a lot of gay pornography, pictures of nude men, uh, and stuff like that. So was there a narrative that it was a gay-related hate crime or that it was, it's the 70s and we just think gay people murder each other? I think it was more the second one, like not a hate crime. I don't think hate crime was on anyone's radar, but maybe right. it could have been like like a very common thing would be fucking around with a straight guy who thinks he's straight. And the then gay panic The defense. gay panic thing, yeah. Uh, but that really, that really like took them down this wrong path. In 1978, Michigan authorities reported that a man named Lionel Williams, who had been arrested on bad check charges, was bragging to everyone in prison that he had killed Minio. And that was overheard by prison guards. Lionel... He, in addition to writing bad checks, he had a history of being a violent robber. He had drug issues, and he once delivered pizzas in West Hollywood. Uh, once he was caught bragging, he was extradited back to California. He went on trial in 1979. Uh, he did immediately almost retract all of his stories that you know he told in prison. He was like, "I was just bragging. Like we, that's what you do in prison. Like you brag about killing someone, especially if they're famous." But his wife who was back in Los Angeles, told police that that night he had come home and he was drenched in blood. 
The one major discrepancy in all of this is that William is black. He, and you know, he doesn't have long stringy brown hair. Uh, he had like an Afro police unearthed an old photo of him in which his hair had been down, uh, dyed Brown and processed to look straight and long. So he did have straight, long Brown hair. And they're speculating that the, the mistake over whether he was white or black was just because it was in those back alleys and it was dark and oh, it was people dark. just made a mistake and maybe saw the hair and just assumed. In addition to that, the medical examiner made a cast of Minio's knife wound and, Williams's wife provided a five hundred. Oh, sorry, a five dollar twenty eight hunting knife that he had that matched the stab wound right. casting. Williams was basically convicted of second degree murder. He was also found guilty of ten other robberies unrelated to Salminio's murder, and that got him a sentence of fifty seven years behind bars. He ended up only serving eleven years behind bars, and he was paroled in nineteen ninety. He was arrested again for robbery and went back to jail, uh, but then was paroled 10 years later. So this guy is a chronic criminal who just keeps getting paroled. I mean, it's insane to me that he was paroled after murdering someone. By the way, there was another little rumor. I mentioned that he did, he did prison reform work. Right. There was a rumor that people were saying that Williams had overheard Sal in prison talking about this. He's basically in prison encouraging people to move forward with their rehabilitation. And uh, according to some people, Williams vowed to get him, calling him a phony tough guy. So I don't know if that's true, but that was just another sort of thing that people were throwing into the mix. Okay. So, I mean, I also wanted to mention that at the time of his death, he had been in a six-year relationship with uh, actor Courtney Burr, who is a man, by the way, even though his name is Courtney. Just wanted to clear up that. So he was in a long time committed relationship. Uh, so he wasn't out fucking around. Or I mean, the whole gay thing just irritates me because it's like two years that they spent fucking around with that idea right, based right. on finding porn. I mean, it's another interesting thing I wanted to bring up, and I've seen the pictures. Minio was also the model for um, a painter named Harold Stevenson. It was a painting called The New Adam. It was done in 1963. It's in the Guggenheim Museum, and it's considered one of the great American nudes. And it's this insane, I mean, I don't know how big it is, but it's on the wall, and it it goes around the corner. So it's on two walls, this long picture of just his body, his face isn't in it. And I mean, it's like dick. It's full on dick. How's his dick? I mean, it's hard to tell. I did blow it up. Why do you ask? Yeah. Do you think I didn't fucking put that little magnifying glass button and click it a bunch of times? Hell yeah. I mean, it sticks fine. It's 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 soft. Right. But it looks pretty good. Okay. I mean, it's a hot pick. Like, so uh, I think we could post it, but we'll probably get banned from Facebook or something because it is dick. Are you allowed to post dick on Facebook? I don't know if you're do allowed to, to like, post blur it, painted Put dick. a fucking fig lo- leaf on it? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll figure it out, but you can look it up. What's certainly. the painting called? It is called The New Adam. Oh, The New Adam. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's amazing it's huge i'm gonna look it up right now um keep talking okay and i am just gonna end on this rebel without a cause quote in the movie plato says do you think the end of the world will come at nighttime and jim stark replies "Uh uh-uh at dawn uh but for james dean the world ended at dusk and for salminio the end came at night you guys impressed with that little rap (laughs) i worked really hard on that the dick is uncut and big 
It's big, right? Yeah. For a soft. I mean. I'm sorry to just like steamroll over your beautiful quote. I know. It Come was... on. I worked on it. All right. Let's hear it again. Let's hear it <laughs> no, again. No, no, no. I want to do it again. Okay. You can rewind. The, the dick. Is... Everyone else was listening while Rachel was looking at dick. This is the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> me, me babbling on while Rachel's like, hold up. <laughs> you got to see this dick. It's a beautiful painting. Is it uncut? It is uncut. Okay. I mean, he's a Sicilian. Sicilian people, I feel like. I mean. Yeah, it's definitely uncut. The only uncut. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like my first uncut dick was a Sicilian guy. <laughs> so based on that evidence, I'm saying, yes, Sicilians have uncut dicks. Okay. Based on two. Look, right. all I need is a sample size of two. That's, yeah. I'm not a scientist. Okay. So, I'm a scientist of this podcast. Right. And that's, that's a low bar. That is Desi's scientific findings. Desi's science, science corner. I really um, want the science of dick. We're right. going to write a report. We Check should out write my a, dissertation. We should write an entire book, the science of dick. Yeah, you guys will buy it, right? <laughs> <laughs> we got to tell Simon, Simon and Schuster. Simon and Schuster, <laughs> stay in your lane, Simon and Schuster. <laughs> Oh boy. Oh boy. So what else do we have to um, do we have patrons? Oh, we had patrons this week. Thank you guys so much. We also got some really nice emails from our listeners this week too. Uh let's see. So this week we had Christian, Britt, Lisa, Ruben. We had my friend Farley. Hey Farley. Oh, hey Farley. I've been friends with Farley since I was 21, mm-hmm. 22. So. so he's known a lot of different evolutions of Rachel. Good. And he's been, he's stuck through. He's wow. stuck through. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what up, Farley? We have Norma, Dawn, Ashley, Ergo, Rachel, Emery, and Mike. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys so much. And it's, what yeah. else we got? Oh, you can join our Facebook group and chat with us there. Uh, we also have the merch available. Just go to HollywoodCrimeScene.com and it'll take you there. You can check out that. And we're also working on new merch designs. Like new merch completely designs. new designs, not right. just the logo. And and we're going to work on some new Patre- Patreon perks as well. So right. look for those in the future. We'll talk about it when they're up. But yeah, we're excited. I yeah. think it'll be good. And that's the end of that. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.